0: When we take a look at the religious landscape of our society, we recognize that there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of differences among the religious people in our nation and in our world. But almost without fail, whenever we start to take a look at one of those differences and we push it back to its final root and source of what's causing the problem, without fail, it comes back to... How do we view this book? Is it just a love letter from God? Is it a pattern? Are these commands that we're supposed to follow or suggestions? Is it just one community's or, or two communities' views about how to relate to God? What do we do with this book? How do we use the Scriptures that God has given us? Now here in this congregation, we recognize that we're followers of Jesus. We want to be Christians, disciples of Christ. And what that does is it just automatically causes us to think, well, if I want to know how to use the Scriptures, maybe I should take a look at my leader, the one who I'm claiming to follow, and examine what he did and how he used the Scriptures. And so that's what I'd like for us to do for just a few moments this morning. Let's take a look at Jesus and how he used the Scriptures of the covenant which he was under. And I think we can learn from that and and follow His example. And if we use the Scriptures the way He used the Scriptures, what do you think about that? Think we'll be doing it right? I think we'll be doing it right. So let's take a look at that for just a few moments this morning. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in Heaven, we love You and we praise Your name because You are awesome and powerful. You are majestic. You are far beyond anything that we can fathom or imagine. And yet You have condescended to love us by sending Your Son to die for us. And we're thankful for the example that He has established. And we pray that we will look to His example and follow it in all ways, how He used the Scriptures, how He lived. And Father, we pray that we will have the same courage that He did to to face whatever comes as we serve You. Father, we're thankful for Your Spirit who has revealed the Word. And we pray that we can open our hearts and minds to Your Word so that we can honor and glorify You, Your way. So that we can edify one another and comfort one another and encourage each other. Father, we love You, and we thank You so much for loving us. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. The six things that I want you to notice as we go through the Gospels, we just take a look at how Jesus used the Scriptures. Of course, we find Him using the Scriptures generally when He was in some type of conflict with either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, or sometimes even in talking with His own disciples. He would He would refer back to the Scriptures of the covenant to which He belonged. And in those scenarios, I think we learn at least six principles that we need to use to govern how we're going to use the Scriptures today. The very first thing we recognize is that Jesus viewed the Scripture as authoritative. John chapter 10 and verse 35. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus made an amazing statement. John chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus answered them, is it? excuse me, that's verse 34. Verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. The word translated broken here, luo, is also found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, if we want to understand what it means. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, Therefore, whoever relaxes, or if you have the New American Standard, it says annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That word relaxes in the English Standard or annuls in the New American Standard is the same word here. You see, what Jesus is pointing out is the Scripture cannot be annulled. It cannot be relaxed. It cannot be broken. It is the authority. It is the thing that is binding. He points out it cannot be loosed. It cannot be taken off of us. The Scripture is authoritative. And here's the thing that most intrigues me about this. Back there in John chapter 10 and verse 35, I almost read verse 34 a moment ago. Let's read it now. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God? That comes from Psalm 82 and verse 6. What most amazes me when Jesus looks at Psalm 82 and verse 6, here's the statement. I said, you are gods. Now, I just want you to think about that verse from the great Jewish culture of monotheism. They constantly argued against the pagans around them, against idolatry, against multiple gods. But here's a verse where God actually looks at the judges of Israel and says, you are God. Now, don't you think that verse caused them a little bit of problem? What kind of struggle they, what might this monotheistic society have had with a verse that said, you are God? Every other verse in the Old Testament says, God alone is God. There's no other gods. And yet this one says, to the judges of Israel, I said, you are gods. I think that's going to be a troubling verse for me as a Jew. And yet what Jesus says is, this verse cannot be broken. Why? Because it's Scripture. The very tempting thing for us to do when we come across scriptures that we don't understand or don't seem to fit is to say things like, I don't think that one belongs. I mean, there there are even points in the Bible where some folks will say, well, now we're pretty convinced that's not even really supposed to be there. The story is that Martin Luther himself said the book of James wasn't really supposed to be a part of the Bible, even though he later recanted that. How easy it is for us to come across things that, that we think just don't fit and say, you know what? I don't think that one applies. But Jesus understood something. If it's Scripture, it's binding. It cannot be annulled. It cannot be relaxed. So our job is not to look at the passages that we think really apply. Our job is to find how it all fits together. And that's what Jesus recognized. Scripture cannot be broken. Scripture is authoritative. No doubt, Scripture tells us that God loves us. But the Scripture wasn't given to us merely to let us know that God loves. The Scripture is given to be binding and authoritative. And so we need to seek authority from it. One of the problems that some folks have today is they have the idea, as I said earlier, that, well, the Bible is merely one community's understanding of how to relate to God. But Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, demonstrates that's not true. And Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, Here's what Peter said, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture did not come from man's interpretation. It wasn't some culture's view or some community's view of how to relate to God. It was God's view of how to relate to Him, that He brought through these men by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to understand Scripture is authoritative, which actually brings us to the second point that Jesus understood. Jesus understood and believed that the Scriptures governed his life. The Scriptures governed his life. Yes, the Scriptures told him that the Father loved him, but first and foremost, the Scriptures provided a governing principle, a pattern, a guide for how he was supposed to live. Look in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been baptized. He's gone out into the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days. And now we know the story. Satan comes to him and tempts him. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in that passage, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Here's what most amazes me about this. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 was written 1,500 years or more before Jesus was even on the face of the earth. It was written to a completely different culture. It was written in a completely different time. It was written to completely different people. But when Satan came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, why don't you do this? Jesus said, I'm not going to do it because the Scripture says this is how I'm supposed to live. A lot of folks have the idea today. They'll look at the Bible and say, now listen, you just can't allow a book that was written 2,000 years ago to completely different people, to a different culture, to a different community, and allow that to govern your life. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what He did. He understood that the covenant Scriptures under which He lived applied to His life even though they were written 1,500 years earlier. He understood that the Scriptures told him how to live. He understood that the Scriptures told him how to work. And he realized that he was supposed to model his life after the pattern that we find in Scripture. And I know a lot of people today, they, they're, they're, they really don't like that word pattern. Oh, we want to get away from patternism. I'm just going to tell you, if we get away from that, we're going to get away from Jesus because that is exactly how Jesus lived his life. When he was considering how he was going to act and how he was going to behave, he looked at the Scriptures which had been given him and allowed those to govern and guide and mold his life. And that's exactly what we have to be, brethren. We have to believe that the Scriptures are given to govern our lives. Thirdly, Jesus believed. That the scriptures should unite us when we disagree. Look in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, from our historical study, we've learned and understand that this actually was a long-time debate between two different schools of thought among the Jews. We've heard it before, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. And, and, and one said that, well, you could divorce for any reason. Another one said, no, it has to be for uncleanness and, or adultery. And so they're bringing up this long-standing debate that they had had among the Jews. And they said, what do you think? And, and really, they didn't really care what his answer was. They just wanted to get him embroiled in a controversy so that they could get somebody mad at him. But notice how Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He answered, Have you not read? Have you not read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And there he quoted Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. What did Jesus do? Here was this debate, here was this long-standing argument, and they wanted to know what's your thought on it, and Jesus said, Well, let's look to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says about this. And really right now I'm not nearly as interested in the answer that he gave as in what he used to answer the question. You notice, he didn't say, well, there are two schools of thought on that, and some believe this, and some believe that. He didn't say, you know, some of the greatest scholars among our people have said such and such. He didn't say, you know, the majority of you is such and such. He didn't say, the latest studies show such and such. He said, have you not read... What he expected is that people could open their Bibles and see what it says and decide to agree with what God said. And that's what's going to unite us. When we get rid of what everybody thinks, when we get rid of everybody's opinion, and just go back to the Bible and say, you know what? just going to believe what it says. And Jesus, he just very basically said, you know, the Bible says, Scriptures say that God joined them together, who is man, to think that he can separate them. And as far as Jesus was concerned, that ended it. Unity should come based upon what we see in Scripture. Unity, the Scripture should be used to answer our questions. And yet today, debates are held, discussions are offered, and, and so often we hear, here's my thought, here's my... I just can't believe God would do this. Or I kind of think God would do that. Or, or you know, this preacher says so-and-so, or this scholar says so-and-so, or I read in this magazine, or this school teaches what we've got to say is, here's the book, chapter, and verse. Have you not read? Because that's how Jesus used the Scripture. Now, I want you to pay very careful attention to this next point because I think this is the one that we just have to understand, perhaps more than any other. Jesus believed that the Scriptures could be misused but we are responsible to use them properly. Jesus believed that Scriptures could be misused. In other words, just because somebody says, well, there's this verse, didn't mean that they were using that verse correctly. Take a look again in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, this time in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city. This is Matthew 4, 5. We're back to the temptation of Jesus again. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Satan himself quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Now, see, Satan says, here it is. Throw yourself off because God said He's going to take care of you. There's the book, chapter, and verse. You do it. But Jesus responded, it is written again, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that was from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. See, what Jesus is saying is, yes, I know that Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12 says that, that God's going to protect his servant lest he dash his foot against a stone. But you know what? There's another verse that helps us understand fully what that one means. Essentially what he said is, Satan, you've misused the Scripture. Yes, you can quote a verse, you can throw it out, and you can try to make your case, but you've misused the Scripture, you've taken it out of its greater biblical context, just to make whatever point you want to make. And so what we learn is, is the Scripture authoritative? Absolutely. Is the Scripture, does it govern our lives? Absolutely. Should it answer our questions and unite us? Yes, it should, but it will only do it if we use the Scripture correctly. Satan wasn't using the Scripture correctly, and many people have not used the Scripture correctly. If we're going to submit to the authority of Scriptures, if we're going to allow it to govern our lives, if we're going to use it to answer our questions, we've got to make sure that we are accurately handling it. As Second 2 Timothy 2.15 teaches us to do. Jesus demonstrated two principles here, just kind of to illustrate this point a little bit further. He demonstrated two principles. Number one, we have to know everything the Bible says about a topic before we know what the Bible says about that topic. You see, Satan just threw out Psalm 9111 and 12. Oh, God said if you jump off the pinnacle here, he'll take care of you. But Jesus said, no, 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 wait a minute. Psalm, uh, Deuteronomy points out to us that I'm not supposed to put God to the test. When God has said He's going to protect me, I'm not supposed to purposefully put myself in harm's way to see if He's really going to do what He says. So I shouldn't go jumping off this building to see what's going to happen. Because you know what's going to happen? I put God to the test. I'm no longer being His servant. I'll probably fall and die. So That's the first thing. We've got to use all that the Bible says on an issue to know what the Bible says on an issue. But there was a second principle demonstrated here, and that is that Jesus used the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. In our adult class, the lesson that we're going through right now here in the auditorium is about Bible study. And and remember class, what's the number one Bible study tool? The Bible. What's the number two Bible study tool? Another Bible. Alright, that's what we've learned in our class, is because we need to use the Scripture... To interpret the scripture. Once again, Jesus didn't say, Oh, yes, but Satan, you misunderstand Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. The best minds of our Jewish fellowship have examined that passage and they understand that what it probably means is this. He didn't say, Oh, but Satan, what you don't understand is that the majority of the priests believe such and such. He didn't say, but Satan, what you don't understand is that in modern study, and, and we've learned that this is how it's going to work. What he said was, well, I'm going to say you got it all wrong. Take a look at this other passage. It helps us understand the one you quoted. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we need to do. Now, if we've got to use it correctly, how are we going to use it? Here's the interesting thing to me. Jesus believed that the Scripture provided authority for what we're supposed to do. Yes, certainly Jesus understood understood that God condemned some things. You weren't supposed to do that. But Jesus recognized the principle that Scripture provides authority for what we do. Look in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1, the disciples are going through a grain field and they're plucking some heads of grain, but they're doing it on the Sabbath. And in verse 2, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Where have you ever read that God said it is wrong to pluck some heads of grain on the Sabbath? Is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says. In verse 3 it says, he said to them, I don't have to have authority for what I'm doing. The scripture was given to us because God loves us and that's all. Is that what yours says? Because that's not what mine says. Mine says, Jesus said, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? You see, Jesus understood something. We're going to come back to this passage again in just a moment to talk a little bit more about it. But just first, let's just get this principle. When they said, your disciples are doing what's not lawful, Jesus didn't say, look, I don't have to have law for this. He said, look, here's my authority. Have you not read? Jesus understood something. I've got to have authority. I've got to be able to go to the Bible. I've got to be able to go to Scripture and provide authority for what I'm doing. And here's very interesting. I I know this is going to shock you, at least those of you who have been here for a long time. Do you realize that Jesus himself used three means to recognize that the Scripture authorized him? To do things? Ready for this? Jesus realized that if he could find direct statements in Scripture, then that authorized him to do what he was doing. Look in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This time we're going to take a look at the last of the temptations. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. See, he recognized, here's a direct statement. The Bible says, Scripture says, Worship God, worship Him only. That's it. There's a direct statement. I'm allowed to worship God. And that's it. Just very simple. Here's a direct statement. Now, I know some folks are going to say, oh, come on, Edwin, everybody knows you're just supposed to worship God. Well, yeah, why do we know that? Because the Scripture directly states it. It's just obvious. That's the issue about direct statements. That's easy. We see that. But are you willing to recognize that not only did Jesus use direct statements to demonstrate authority, but he also used examples. Examples. Look back at that Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, when they said, look at what your disciples are doing, they're eating these heads of grain, they're doing this thing that's unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus said in verse 3, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for them to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple proclaim the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, I know we have lots of debate about what those two examples very specifically mean. And I'm not going to get into that this morning. We talked talk about that some other time. I know that we can debate on how Jesus is exactly using those. Here's what I want you to notice. When Jesus was trying to stay there authorized to do this, what did he do? He went to the Scripture and he found examples. And said, so look at these examples. These examples demonstrate that my disciples are authorized to do this. And then he used the third one. And this is the one folks don't like, and I don't know why. I don't know why folks get over this, because this is just logic. This is just reason. This is just thinking things through. He used necessary inference, or natural inference. He he recognized that sometimes the Scripture doesn't directly state something, and we don't see an example, but it is implied that that something is the case. In fact, it's very interesting that this is the one that folks hone in on today to repudiate, and yet this is the thing that Jesus actually used the most. Look at Matthew 12, verse 9. He went on from there and into their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, in verse such and such, God said it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Did he say that? No, that's not what he said. Did he say, look at this passage, we see somebody healing on the Sabbath. No, that's not what he said. So he didn't use a direct statement. He didn't use an example. What did he say? Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus used an implication. He inferred from the law of God that it is okay to save a life on the Sabbath. If your sheep has fallen in the pit, God did not intend the Sabbath law to mean that you just had to let it die. You're allowed to do the lifting and the work to get him out of there. How much more am I allowed to reach over and heal this man's withered hand, even though that it's a savage? Do you realize what that is? That is an inference. It's a necessary inference. You, you can't get around this. I mean, come on. If we can do it with a sheep, we can do it with a man. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and verse 9. He said, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained for me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now, I have studied, I've searched, I've looked in concordances, and, and maybe I've missed it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I have never once found a passage in the Old Testament that says that the child is supposed to take care of his aging parents. I don't, I don't know of one single solitary passage in the Old Testament Scriptures. I mean, I know the New Testament has one, but we're dealing with Jesus, dealing with the Scriptures that he had. I don't know of one single passage in the Old Testament where it said, the child is responsible when his parents are older to take care of them materially. But you see, Jesus inferred something from the command. What's the command? The command is honor your father and mother. If my parents are starving and I'm not doing anything about it, is that honoring them? See, he inferred something. He recognized that if I'm supposed to honor my father and mother, that means when they're hungry, I'm supposed to do something about it. But what is that? Brethren, that's an inference. That's logical reasoning. That's drawing a natural conclusion. And here, Jesus actually said it was a command of God. Even though it was a command he understood by Necessary So let's, let's just look at one more. I just want you to see it. It just amazes me. This is the one Jesus uses the most. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. They asked him, Is it lawful divorce for any reason? He said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, the Old Testament, that passage didn't say don't let man separate it, but Jesus understood something by necessary inference. If God joined it together, man's not allowed to separate it. It's just a necessary conclusion. You just can't draw any other conclusion. You see what I'm saying here? This is what Jesus used. And I don't understand why, but, but a lot of folks in the, in the younger generation today, and even some from the older generation, are starting to say, because could we preach this? Y'all have heard these three points in sermons dozens of times. We say, oh, we just don't buy this anymore. That's old and it's outdated. And it, it wouldn't stand up anywhere. The only thing about it is it's what Jesus used. I think perhaps the problem is, my, just recently, Shane Scott made this point to me, and, and I, I thought, you know, I think he's absolutely right. I think the problem is sometimes when we preach on this, We've acted like somebody somewhere who preached for a church of Christ made this up and brought it down from on high and wrote it on, uh, on stones and said, this is how everybody in churches of Christ are supposed to do it. And that's not it at all. It's just the fact that if you're given the Bible and you start reading it and you start using the Scripture the way Jesus and his disciples use the Scripture, this is how you're going to use it. And this is how you're going to find authority for what you're doing. And, of course, you're going to realize, I have to have authority, because that's what Jesus thought. And then finally, Jesus, okay, I wonder if this is going to come up. Jesus used Scripture to rebuke those in error. A lot of folks today are beginning to have this idea that we should use the Scripture to tell us what we're going to do, and we should just read it and find what we're going to do, and just let everybody else study else for themselves, and we shouldn't ever say anything to them about what they're going to do. But look. In Matthew chapter fifteen. Matthew chapter fifteen, beginning at verse seven, Jesus said in Matthew fifteen, verse seven, You hypocrites, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And here he quoted from Isaiah twenty nine and verse thirteen. Jesus didn't say, just live and let live. Jesus didn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to study the Scripture and I'm going to do what I believe is right and you can study the Scripture and you can do whatever you want. He realized that he was supposed to use the Scripture if he saw someone in error to tell them they were in error. I'm not saying this means we should be busybodies. I'm not saying this means we should go on some kind of witch hunt and try to find everybody in the world that, is, that might possibly be doing something wrong. But when we see somebody doing something against Scripture, that's what this says is we're supposed to use the Scripture to show them that. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29, looked at the Sadducees and pointed out to them, as we quoted earlier, you do err not knowing the Scripture or the power of God. When somebody's erring because they're not following the Scripture, we're supposed to share that with them. Now, yes, I know that, that they're going to end up doing what they want or what they believe, and we need to let folks do what they believe. We talked about that a little bit with tolerance last week as we talked about judgment and tolerance and looking at the Bible, Bible discussion of that. But we're still supposed to talk to him about it. We're still supposed to reprove and rebuke using the Scriptures. You remember 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says to us that Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, I know what the anticipated rebuttal to this is. They're going to say, yeah, but that was Jesus. You know, here's the amazing thing to me. I never understand this. Folks are going to tell me over and over again that Jesus is my example, but any time they don't like what I'm doing when Jesus was the one who did it, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. Now, which is it? Is Jesus supposed to be my example, or do I sit back and say, that's Jesus, and I can't do that? We've got to use the Scripture to teach the truth. And yes, that's going to mean sometimes to reprove and rebuke when we see folks in error. How did Jesus use the Scripture? It's pretty plain. Jesus recognized the Scripture as authoritative. He recognized that the Scripture applied to his life and was supposed to govern his life. He recognized that the Scripture should unite us and answer our Bible questions. He recognized, our spiritual questions, I should say. He recognized that the Scriptures could be misused, but it's our responsibility to use them properly. And he recognized that he needed to find authority for work and action from the Scriptures and he recognized that the Scriptures should be re- used to rebuke and reprove those who are in error so that they can be corrected and they can go to heaven. How should we use the Scripture? Friends and brethren, I suggest that we should use the Scripture we've been given the exact same way Jesus used it. I didn't make this up. but just decided to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, we decided to do things His way. What do you think? Is that how we should do it?